Anyway, how's everybody doing today? It's, it's good to see you all in church, and I wish I could see those who are online. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have anything like that set up, but we're glad that you have joined us today. We are in the season of Lent, and we started with Ash Wednesday several weeks ago on that Ash Wednesday and kind of began to explain what the season of Lent is about. Um, it's nothing that is specified in the scriptures for us to follow per se, but it is a time of reflection, um, even uh, to lament whatever we have in our lives, whatever things that we might feel are separating us from God, that we can um, just focus on those and ask God to help us with that and spend that time uh, looking at ourselves as we lead up to Easter Sunday, which is just a few weeks away. Uh, we're very, very excited about Easter Sunday and what's going on there. So we uh, hope that you can uh, be a part of that when we get there. But uh, the season of Lent, we're in the middle of it right now, and today is the third Sunday of Lent, and we've got just a, a few more to go. I, I will say, by the way, that you don't want to miss next Sunday because our very own Bruno is going to be uh, preaching next Sunday. So that should be uh, awesome and interesting. I'm excited that Bruno is going to be able to, uh, to do that with us. No pressure at all. Uh, I did talk to him before I just said he was going to do it, and he said he was okay with doing that. So it uh, makes me a little nervous if he's going to become famous or something. And then, you know, um, but no, we're, we, got, uh, we got him locked in. So we're happy that he's a part of the team now. So I want to tell you, there's a story of a little girl I read who had a shiny cross on a chain around her neck. You guys all know the type. I mean, some of you may be wearing one today. Um, but she was approached by a, a man who said, saw the cross, and he said, I like your cross, but don't you know that Jesus, when he died, it wasn't on a beautiful cross like the one that you're wearing. It was an ugly wooden thing uh, that he died on. And the girl replied, yeah, I know, but they told me in Sunday school that whoever Jesus touches, he changes. And I just want him to touch me all the time. So I think that for many people, the cross is such a, a thing that has caused so much different uh, emotions for so many people. Um, in 1 Corinthians, part of Paul's message was the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is one of the most recognizable symbols in all of the world. Uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed that. It's a fashion statement for some. It's a uh, drum for various movements for others, and it's a polarizing symbol in the world of government. People have Wars have been fought over the cross. People have been shunned because of the cross. We have had political fights over the cross and where it can and can't be shown. For some reason, that symbol elicits so much emotion for so many people. So today I thought I'd talk about that. Uh, what is the cross and how it is really foolish, the cross, but it contains so much power. All right, so today we're going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, let me say as we dig into this that the notes for today's message are in the Bible app. You can go to the YouVersion Bible app and find them there, or get the uh, Church's app and go to the sermon notes there as well, and 
As always, everything that you see on these screens is not always the things that are, I put extras on the, those notes. So, All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish and wisdom foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I don't know about you, just a side note. Have you ever just paid attention to that last verse? Foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. There's been a lot of times in my life I'm like, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I understand that you know more and better than me. So I'm just going to ride along on this. There was once a man who was considered the town fool. uh, And a game among all of the the children and, and the young people in the town was to run up to the man who was a fool and they would have a penny in one hand and a quarter in the other hand and they would tell him to choose one. And the man would always choose the penny and then everybody would get a big laugh like he chose the penny. Why did he choose the penny? Um, one day a, a visitor, a new guy, came into town and saw everybody playing this game with the foolish man and um, when the crowd cleared, he walked up to him and he said, uh, I don't understand. Don't you understand the value of a quarter versus a penny? And uh, the town fool said, well, of course I understand the difference between a penny and a quarter, but if I ever grab the quarter, then they're going to quit playing the game. <laughs> so who's the fool now? <laughs> Most of the time, it's healthy to avoid foolishness, you know? But the message in our passage today is that there is a time and a place to act foolish, knowing all we know about the cross. I just want to dig in today and and take a look at why the cross is so polarizing in society today. And and we're going to take the scripture. So first, he says it's a stumbling block for the Jews. You know, the Jews stumbled over it because it wasn't the, he wasn't, Jesus, wasn't the kind of Messiah that they were expecting. They, they were expecting Messiah to come in and to do uh, miracles. It, it's, it's a strange thing because Jesus is the person that God, care, or, I mean the Jews are the person that were carefully chosen by God. Like God selected the Jews, the Jewish people, started with Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. He, he selected this group, and, and they were his. He had watched over them. He had protected them. He had, and if you read the Old Testament, you'll see all of the times he brought them from this place to that and, and saved them from this calamity or the other. He had prepared them to be the nation through whom the Messiah would come. They were to be a strong people, to be in favor of the Messiah, But when he came, they crucified him. (laughs) Why in the world would he 
would they crucify the Messiah that they had been expecting? How could they not see, we, we look in retrospect, that he was God incarnate? We, we were talking about this in our Sunday school class this morning. And if we saw Jesus today, would we recognize him in that way? It, it says that in, in John 1.11 that he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Any of you ever been to a family reunion? Anybody have family reunions? Is it possible if your family's the black sheep for you to be the black sheep of your family? <laughs> That's how I feel like I am sometimes when family gathers together. I don't know, but that's what happened to Jesus. They were his people. They were the ones he was going to lead. They were the ones he was going to die for. They were the ones he came to establish his kingdom, and yet they still crucified him. They would not receive him. So why is it that they didn't receive him? What is it that, that changed during all this time? The Jews demanded miraculous signs, right? And we look and we say, well, Jesus did miraculous signs. He, he did all kinds of miracles for people. The, the people who couldn't see, he healed where they could see again. The people who couldn't walk, the lame, he healed so that they could walk again. The, the people who were impure because they were lepers, he healed so they were clean again. And, and that was a big deal, by the way. I'm, as I, I go through the Bible this year, I'm reading now in... Um, Leviticus and Numbers and all of the, the laws. And it talks so much about people being unpure and unclean. And um, for those who have leprosy and they had sores that oozed and stuff, you couldn't come into contact even with a piece of clothing that they had because you would be considered impure and you couldn't worship in the temple. So when Jesus, one of the, some of the greatest things he did was to heal those who were impure so they could worship again. He was ministering to them. He was reaching their needs. He was doing all kinds of crazy things, but that's not what they were looking for. And I think the message for us is to be careful not to take God and put him in our box of expectations because they were looking for somebody who would do miracles, but miracles of power and success and conquering. That's who they expected. They wanted a Messiah who would overthrow the Romans and reestablish the kingdom like it was when David was there. That's what they were looking for. Uh, if, you, if you read in um, First and Second Kings and, and all through there, you read about uh, David and how magnificent the kingdom became, and then even more so when his son Solomon became king. That's what they were looking for. They wanted to be restored to their former glory, and God, Jesus is going to come, their Messiah and he's going to make this immaculate, awesome kingdom, and everybody's going to be conquered. That's the kind of miracle they were looking for, but that's not who Jesus was. If he had gathered an army, if he had led them into battle, they would have fought and died for him. If you read any of the history, you'll find that that happened actually before. A, a, a Messiah figure would come in and claim to be the Messiah, and people would begin to follow, and they would... He would go in and conquer. Of course, they all got killed, but that is what they expected. That's, that's who they wanted. You see, for them, dying on a cross doesn't look like success or power. It doesn't look like victory. It looks like weakness. It looks like failure. It looks like defeat. 
So they kept stumbling over it. It continued to be a struggle for them everywhere they turned. Not only did they have a false concept of who the Messiah was, but they also had a false concept of salvation. They, they thought the way to salvation was to follow all of the law. And at some point, if you haven't done it, read Galatians. And Paul addresses this extensively. They thought they could find righteousness in the law. They thought if they could follow every single law and rule that they would be fine. That that's where they found salvation. So that's what they were trying to do. So they didn't need a Messiah. I mean, a Savior like Jesus was coming. They didn't really need somebody to die on the cross because they were doing it. They thought, we can do this. We can follow the rules. We can follow the law. The problem is they weren't following God's law. I mean, they were going through the motions, but Jesus addresses it with them over and over and over and shows how they failed to follow the law again and again and again. Because they would go and they would say their prayers loudly so people would hear them. Jesus said, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. He said, go pray in your closet. They would give their offerings and let everybody see the offerings they were giving. Jesus said, that's not the way to do it. You see, they appeared to be pious and prayerful and generous. Jesus called it a that they appeared to be whitewashed tombs. Everything looks pretty, but inside is just death. We've got to be careful for that. So in their own minds, they, they didn't need a Savior who was going to die for them. What they needed was a Savior to conquer. So for them, the cross's foolishness. Makes no sense. What about the Greeks, the Gentiles that they mentioned in our Scripture? Paul looked at the Greeks. Verse 22, he says, the Greeks look for wisdom. The Greeks were the academia of the day. It was where the intelligence was. It was all about education for them. They were intelligent people, and they produced men like Socrates and, and Plato and Aristotle, people that we still read, philosophers we still read today, like super intelligent. Socrates said, the secret to a successful society is education. If we can just give everybody a good education, then it must follow that the world will get better and better. I mean, we can relate to that today. Have you noticed? It sounds familiar. We've been told for generations, if we just get educated, if all the people are educated, then all of our problems will be solved. Everybody will be so smart that we won't have anybody who's hungry or who's lacking in anything. Like, it's, it's where good society goes. But we found, and I think you would agree, that education is not what our country needs. Don't misunderstand, I am a fan of education. I think that we should be educated. But that's not going to fix us. That's not where salvation is. We can learn everything there is to learn and still have the fatal flaw of sin in our lives. The education isn't going to fix it. Acts 17 describes, and this is super interesting, Acts 17 describes Paul came into Athens Christian Jew, also a Roman citizen, came into Athens and uh, he met the Athenian philosophers on Mars Hill. You might have heard of Mars Hill and um, it's not only a uh, 
something that we've heard today, organization today, but it's, it's started back here. This is where they sat on the hill and they began to talk and they thought all day, uh, thinking profound thoughts. Luke says this about it in Acts. He says, uh, they would spend their time in nothing other than telling and hearing something new. They just sat around and thought all day. I don't know. <laughs> My wife would question if that was a bunch of men or not. <laughs> One day, Paul went up on Mars Hill, and he started to tell him about God and, and explain to him who God was. And it's, I love this story, and by the way, when Paul goes in, and he, he tells them that uh, they have all of their gods around, and you know, they're, they're having philosophy meetings, and, and they have images of all of their gods, and they have one image, and it's labeled to the unknown God. Like, in case we missed a god, this one's to the one that's unknown. Paul walks up there, super smart, I love Paul, and he says, hey guys, I know the unknown God. Do you want me to tell you about him? It's really cool. And so he begins to tell them about the unknown God, um, that God came to earth in the form of Jesus, that he walked among men, that he died on the cross and that he rose again, and that because of these things, they can be saved from their sins, have salvation and the promise of a better life now and a better life when they die. Well, they consider that to be foolishness. Pfft, what? That's not the way God is. That's foolishness. And there's people today who still think the same way. They consider it foolishness. It was foolishness to them. Reason tells you that babies aren't born to virgin girls. Reason tells you that God doesn't become flesh and walk among us. Reason tells you that the Almighty God will not allow puny men to nail him to the cross. He's got to be stronger than that. Reason tells you that when a man dies, he cannot be resurrected to life again. And they believed in reason. None of that makes any sense. And if you think about it, it doesn't make sense. So they consider the cross foolishness. And they had a concept of salvation. This is really interesting, the, the Greeks. They believed that all souls were immortal. And when you died, if you had done enough good things in your life, you know, you're, you're an immortal being and, and you've done, your soul is, you die, you've done enough good things, then you get to stay with all of the gods. Like you get to hang out with them and everything's good. If you didn't do enough good things, then you, your soul got recycled. Well, go back down and try it again. And go back down and try it again. And eventually, you would earn your way to a place with the gods. So when it came to hearing about the cross, that that's not the way it is. In fact, you have one chance to live your life. And, and if you choose God, that's good. And if not, that's bad. That doesn't make any sense. Why does anybody have to go to a cross so we can go to heaven anyway? Because if you don't make it, then you just... Go back and you get to try again, reincarnated. Sounds a little bit like some things we might hear today. What about the cross today? You know, I don't think we've learned anything new. I think we're still sinning the same sins. I think we're still having the same false thoughts, still stumbling over the same cross. We're still laughing at the wisdom of God and calling it foolishness. Michael Bird 
a minister in Australia was talking about a, a well-known American preacher who gave some advice to an Australian congregation, and this is what he said. Don't tell people about the cross. It doesn't work. That's why the Billy Graham crusades are no longer effective. Just tell them that God loves them and has a plan for them. <laughs> I mean, if you boiled it down, it's, it's telling people the message of a cross, of a crucified Jesus, is foolishness. It makes no sense. A crucified Messiah is stupid, but the promise of prosperity, that might work. Give them an emotional response. That might work. Give them some self-esteem, and then they'll find Jesus. I have to tell you, for me, make no mistake about it, the Christ who died on the cross for my sins, who miraculously confronted Saul on that road to Damascus, that Christ he still counts. And that cross is still real. But it is foolishness. It just doesn't make sense that he would do that for us. That's the same Christ who confronts us today. The same Christ who delivers the life-changing message of the cross I'm convinced that sometimes he still confronts believers in ways that are hard for us to understand. Some of you here have had that Damascus Road experience like Paul did. People who sincerely, like Saul, thought that the way they were going was right. Saul thought he was doing everything right. He was killing people in the name of, of God. I think the cross is perfectly capable of confronting people even today. Man, I'll, I'll, I had a story. I'm going to tell my story. <laughs> um, I had a Damascus Road experience. I can tell you that my dad was saved when I was a young boy. I, I, so I didn't start out in church, but I grew up mostly in church. I knew all the right things. I knew all the right answers. But when I left the house, my life fell apart because I chose sin. And God brought me to my knees. I, I can still remember, and I've, maybe I've told the story too much, but I just, maybe for the first time if you're hearing this, I can remember I was, I was in the shower, and I got out of the shower, and I was getting ready for my day, and I became overwhelmed by God. I mean, overwhelmed to the point I couldn't even stand, so I got on my knees. I was on my knees, and I was so overwhelmed I couldn't even stay on my knees. I laid on my belly, and I can still feel the carpet on my nose when I relive the story because he so overwhelmed me. Nobody said anything to me. I wasn't at an awesome worship service. It was just the presence of God. It was just His Spirit. And listen, my life was on a completely different trajectory. I had no designs on being a pastor. But God took me there. 
So I'm here to tell you today that that experience can happen to anybody. And as much as I want people in my family or some of my friends to hear the message, to understand, to accept Christ, I realized also I can do nothing to push them there. What I have to do is allow God to begin to move them there. Because if he did that in my life, he can do that for anybody. And I'll, I'll tell you this, this is a scary thought. I can remember having the thought, if I died, I'm going to hell, and I'm okay with that. That's, that's scary. But I didn't care. But he so radically changed me. You know, about a November, right before COVID hit, so 2019, we had an opportunity to go with uh, one of our some people from around our area, one of our formal general superintendents is now a missionary in Morocco, and um, he invited us to go to Morocco with him and spend a couple of weeks just uh, traveling around and, and meeting some of the underground preachers in that uh, Islamic area, and it was an awesome time. One of the stories that comes up over and over and over again, because people can't evangelize as f- freely, obviously, like we can here. In fact, there is no Christian church other than the state-sponsored Christian church that's only allowed for outsiders. Like if I moved there, I could go to that church. But people who live there, if you're a native, you can't. It's illegal. So as we were going around, we began to have conversations with some of these pastors, and they told us over and over and over. And that's what, I have the story here. You can, uh, I'm just going to get her name. Um, I don't see her name here. She, she was a Muslim woman. She was a university professor, and she was taking English classes from a, um, a, a missionary. In English, you know, they do that. In fact, many of the countries are beginning to pick up on English teachers that come from here are actually there to talk about Jesus, but, um, and that, that we're having to find more creative ways because now we can't go as English teachers as much as we used to. So this Muslim woman in one of these English classes the teacher, after class, some students were asking questions. He began to talk about Jesus. She got mad, and she went home, and she prayed for Allah to kill this, this infidel. Bring down fire. Destroy him. Those kind of things. That night, she had a dream about Jesus who appeared to her in fire. Gives me goosebumps to think because I, I've heard the story from, I'm not, not just the story I read, but I talked to people who this happened to. She became so fearful for her life, she fell at the feet of Jesus in her bedroom, begging him to not take her. She she chose to follow Jesus that day, that night. And now she's not only a Muslim professor, but she also is um, teaching people about Jesus. And I just think that maybe that can be our prayer for some people. Let them have a Jesus moment. God, would you bring them to a Damascus Road experience? Because we are not able to reach them. But we do need to be available because sometimes God is going to cause a person's path to cross ours. And it's in those moments that we have to have eyes to see and recognize that they need to hear. In fact, that's my prayer for some of my family who I care deeply about. God, would you cause somebody 
to cross their path that knows you, that can talk to them. Maybe that's our prayer today. You know, think about the angel who appeared to Cornelius the centurion. Do you remember that story? Told him to find Peter, to, to send for Peter, and Peter's going to tell him everything he needs to know. That's the reason that we can be saved today. Broke that barrier into the Gentiles' world. Or about the angel who appeared to Phil, Philip, another one of my one of my favorite, most awesome stories in the Bible. He, he appeared to Philip and said, hey, there's an Ethiopian over there. I want you to run over and talk to him. And it was that kind of experience that he had. How about Paul's vision of a man begging him in a vision to come to Macedonia and help him? You know, God's, the cross is foolishness. And we count it as that because it makes no sense to anybody. How am I in my bedroom after a shower not talking to anybody, not listening to worship music, I can tell you that, have an overwhelming experience because the Holy Spirit comes on me in such a way that causes me to change my life forever? How does that happen? The cross is foolishness, but it is what saves us today. By the power of Jesus Christ and Him resurrected, it is our salvation. So today I want to offer you an invitation. An invitation for you to stand by the cross. To see the one who suffers there, who died there, and submit to Him and say, I'm going to follow you today. Jesus who says, I don't like your sin, but I am standing here to forgive you for whatever you need today. If you'll accept it, I will grant you a pardon. And I will make you part of my kingdom today and forever. And you know the awesome thing about that? God doesn't... We, we talk about being saved. And for the longest time in my mind... And we've talked about this quite a bit at our church. In my mind, it was to be saved for heaven. For me, the Christian faith didn't speak to what's happening now. But as I've dug into the scripture, that's not true at all. Jesus came to establish his kingdom today. That's the way he prayed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. God, let what happens up there happen down here. But how's that going to happen if... If it doesn't happen in my life. So everywhere I go, I'm a kingdom bubble and I'm taking it with me and I'm inviting people to join that kingdom. To be a part of that kingdom. And God will help you now. It's a place where the poor are welcomed in, where the marginalized have a place, where the people who are hungry have a seat at the table. It's a place where all are welcome. And it, it doesn't matter your, your background or your ethnicity or your uh, socioeconomic status. None of that matters because we are all unified in his kingdom. It's an amazing place. That speaks to today. That's an amazing promise in itself. And then, when we meet Jesus, we get to stay with him forever. Like bonus. It's amazing. So here in a minute, we're going to wrap up. Um, we're going to take communion. By the way, there's some communion cups at the table. This is not the way we normally do communion, but in these times of 
COVID, we want to make sure everybody feels safe. So we have the cups. We also have some here in the altar. Um, they're prepackaged if you'd like to, to grab one. If you're at home, I would encourage you to get a, a, something, a cup of, uh, of something, water or, I don't know, whatever is appropriate, and then some kind of bread. You can take communion at your house as well. But as we take communion today, I just I want to invite you to reflect on that. And if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I haven't had that experience with Jesus. In fact, I'm not sure that I even have that relationship with him. Or if you're watching today and you're thinking, man, I want that confidence. It's super easy. During this time of communion, reflect on that. Ask Jesus to do that for you. He's standing at the foot of the cross and he's saying, here I am. Will you join me? At our church, we believe in op- we have open communion. Uh, you don't have to be a member of our church to participate in communion. We only ask that you believe that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and has been raised for your sin. It's nothing we should we should be um, taking lightly, but doing with uh, reverence. So today, as we take this. I'm going to read through this. I'm going to say a prayer. We'll break the bread, and then we're going to sing a song. And if you'd like to come to the altar and kneel and pray, please do that. If you'd like to kneel at your chair or at your couch at home. Just remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which will be broken for you. We recall as well how in the same way when the meal was over, he took the cup, the cup of blessing, and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and drink. This is my blood which was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So just like Jesus, we want to break the bread. And if you're here today, I invite you to remember that this is his body that was broken for you. And I can imagine in my mind when he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he told them, take and drink. This is my blood which will be shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Did they understand the weight So let's reverently remember the weight that those words carry this morning. Jesus, this morning we are so grateful for what you have done for us, for the forgiveness of our sins by your sacrifice. We know that to the world, to everybody, even to us sometimes, the cross seems like foolishness, but God, Jesus, we we understand what you did. We, We know the type of kingdom that you were creating, and we want to be a part of that. So today we ask that you would help us to lament our sin. That we might be forgiven. And if somebody today is watching or if they're here and they've not asked you to forgive them for their sins, Jesus, I ask that you would prompt their heart to do that now it's very simple to say Jesus please forgive me I know that I have sinned 
come and live in my heart. And I promise, by your help, I will live for you the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you do for us. Move in our hearts, I pray.